This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Welcome to the TriDot Podcast. Our good friend, triathlon legend and TriDot coach Mark Allen, has been doing a really great series on YouTube called The Second Season, focusing on how to stay strong deep into the triathlon season. It's really great content from Mark on YouTube, as always, and we decided to bring this topic over to our podcast audience. So, naturally, our first coach joining us for this conversation is Mark Allen. Mark is the most successful triathlete of all time, having won the Ironman Triathlon World Championship six times, the Nice International Triathlon ten times, and the first recognized Olympic Distance Triathlon Championship. He went undefeated in 21 straight races for an astounding two-year winning streak from the late 1988 to 1990 season. He has been inducted into the Halls of Fame for Ironman, USA Triathlon, and the International Triathlon Union. ESPN named Mark as the greatest endurance athlete of all time, and you'll hear no argument from me on that. Mark, thanks for inspiring such a great topic today. Yeah, it's one that people don't actually really, I, I think, address with enough um, with enough thought or enough uh, focus. Yeah. Really, you know, that whole second half of the season, or, or which I really call the second season, because you know a lot of people start racing, they start training after the first of the year. You know, they hit some early races in May, June, and then after that, July, August, September, October, November, you know, maybe even into December, people are sort of, there's usually that one huge thing that you're, the, the nugget that's out there that you want to just target and hit really well. And so for those who have trained since January, that that can be tough because that's a long haul, you know, to be consistent yeah, training sure all that time and then there's the whole other crew who really they don't get their momentum going until may or june because of weather and school commitments with their kids and all that kind of stuff and so they're they're sort of trying to play catch up and so how do you how do you play catch up and get there uh you know at that last race also healthy fresh vital ready to go and so that's uh, i think it's a great topic it's one that not many people talk about actually the second season Yep, and we're going to discuss all of that today with you and Coach Joanna Namey. Joanna is better known as Coach JoJo and has been coaching athletes with TriDot since 2012. She's a co-founder of Hissy Fit Racing, a member of the Betty Design Elite Squad, and has double-digit Ironman finishes on her accomplished triathlon resume. She's a two-time Kona qualifier and is racing on the Big Island for the second time this year. As our director of TriDot Pool School, her passion is getting athletes faster and more comfortable in the water. Joe, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Andrew. I love being on here with Mark. We uh, have gotten to be yeah, friends, Mark. and um, I won't remind him 12 times during this podcast that I have more Ironman finishes than he does. <laughs> oh, dang. <laughs> <laughs> That's thrown down, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> 
I, I think Mark will let you have that. I think he will happily take his six championships and let you have the uh, the, the higher finish line. Yeah, number. he'll always say, he's like, well, how many did you win? I said, I've won them all in the hearts of my children. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people and captain of the middle of the pack. As always, we will roll through our warm-up question, settle in for our main set conversation and then wind things down with Vanessa interviewing a tridoc coach for the cooldown. Extremely excited to have Two Toms as the anti-chafing partner of Tridot. Two Toms is always working on revolutionary new products designed to prevent chafing, blisters, odors, and sweat. Their passion is to keep you moving. With all the training we do, it is vital to take care of our skin. None of us want to shut down our swimming, biking, and running simply because a blister forms in the wrong spot at the wrong time. Thankfully, our friends at Two Toms prevent blisters before they even happen. For the ultimate anti-chafing experience, you can either roll on or wipe on Two Toms Sports Shield, Sports Shield Extra, or Blister Shield. I use Two Toms most often to prevent my wetsuit from rubbing the back of my neck, my bike saddle from causing any saddle sores, and my running shoes from creating any hot spots on my feet. Two Toms is always on deck at Tridot Pool School, to keep our swimmers from getting any blisters from drilling with fins. For any occasion where your skin could rub, Two Toms has you covered. Whatever skin protectant or chamois cream you are using right now, I am telling you, Two Toms is better. Go to metadyne.com to try Two Toms today. And when you do, use promo code TRIDOT for 20% off your order. Lots of good stuff. Let's get to it. Time to warm up. Let's get moving. Most folks exist in some form on social media these days. And as triathletes, it's usually a balance between posting about your athletic endeavors, maybe your career or any other hobbies, and your personal or family life. So for our warm-up question today, I'm just kind of curious. What social media post of yours received the most engagement that you have ever gotten. And this could be a Facebook post. It could be an Instagram post. It could be a YouTube video. It could be a TikTok. Wherever the heck you are on social media, what post of yours just got the most attention, the most likes, clicks, comments, whatever. Uh, Coach Joe, let's send this over to you first. Well, it was a little surprising to me. I am not one that posts a lot about my private life or my family and kids. I do use social media more for um, you know, my coaching, my career, for pool school, for my racing. Um, and it was actually in the middle of dead center of pandemic. Um, and I was having a lot of thoughts about how frustrating and difficult. And, you know, there's a lot of complaining and, a, a, you know, from everyone about um, quarantine and, and, you know, not being able to do the things we want to do and, and how life was hard. And uh, I started to, to witness some, some blessings in my own life with my own kids. Um, and so I wrote a blog about, um, I think it was on Instagram and Facebook, about um, um, some of the things that were super special that were happening when you have three teenage sons that really um, don't, don't want to have as much to do with you as they get older. Um, and I talk about, people will say it's a slow breakup between a mom and son over about 15 years uh, because they just, you know, they don't want to hug anymore. They don't want to, you know, and uh, see, I get choked. I'm getting choked up about it. Uh, 
but it was more that because we were quarantined and they didn't have places to go and we couldn't socialize with friends. And I think they had a lot more anxiety and fear during that time that um, there was a lot more hugs and a lot more I love you moms and a lot more holding my hand. And those are things that would never have occurred had I not gone through the pandemic. And so, you know, it's kind of that that post kind of blew up um, and I got a lot of comments and messages back about wow you know that that like you know the the blessings in disguise and so that was that was probably the 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 most popular post that i had yeah no i can see why i mean people people i think like seeing other people be real on social media because so often you know people just kind of post their their life highlights right and they don't they don't take a second to get real with emotions and the ebbs and flows of life and so yeah i can see why people would respond to that post uh so vigorously uh, Mark Allen, you are on several different social media formats, including the aforementioned YouTube platform. Uh, where have you gotten the most engagement with a singular post? Kind of, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you actually top three. So in do third it, place is pretty much anything that I post where it's about Lionel Sanders. All you got to do is hashtag, you know, Lionel in there, or, you know, talk about him or something that's going on with him. And it, it gets a lot of people viewing it. And, and I understand why, you know, he's a, he's a great and interesting character. Interesting People person. love Lionel. Yeah. He's continually evolving. And he's never, he, he's never one to come be short of surprising you with something that comes either comes out of his mouth or, or he does in a race. So that's my go-to when I kind of need to like bump things up a little bit. <laughs> you just mentioned Lionel. <laughs> Past that though, was a, a, a photo that I took of myself. It was a selfie. I'll have to say it was a selfie with me and Christian Blumenfeld in, in St. George last year after he won, it was after the finish. And it was just such a, it, it was just kind of like this cool natural moment that happened. We were together and that, that really, really got a lot of, a lot of engagement, like three times as much. I hate to say Lionel as anything that I did with you. However, numero uno, and this also has Christian Blumenfeld in it, was in St. George, a photo of Daniela Reef. And Christian Blumenfeld at the finish line together. They both had their their champions lays on, you know, and they were they were doing like they were doing the hula. And that got over a quarter million views. I mean, it was like that thing just blew up. And, and it was it was such a cool, like spontaneous moment. And it was only this big, this long. And I don't know if anybody else got that photo because it just happened so quickly. And I just happened to be there. And they were doing this thing, you know, so it was, it's social media, you know, there's a part of it that's predictable and part of it that's completely, you have no idea what's going to just blow up. Oh, it's so true. Mark, I do wonder uh, if social media had been a thing when you were in your prime racing, winning championships, uh, w- w- would you have been a Lionel Sanders who wore your heart on your sleeve and 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 vlogged your training? Or would you have played it more close to the vest? What, what, what do you think? Have you ever thought about that? I'm sure I would play it close to my chest. Okay. You know, I, I, I was never one to say, I'm going to watch out, everybody. I'm coming to get you all. You know, like his most recent thing is like, he is coming to get everybody. Well, like, huh, that I, that would not be me. That might be, um, I don't know who that would be, but not me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I always, you know, even in the day when they we did a lot of TV interviews, radio interviews, print interviews, I always just tried to really tell my story what was going on, but at the same time, let my racing speak for, you know, be the ultimate uh, voice for what I was doing. 
Yeah, well, you certainly did well there. That's for sure. So this answer for me, now I do not pretend to be a social media influencer. Uh, I, I am horrible. I'm horrendous at posting regularly on social media. My number one post anywhere, uh, I posted when our daughter Ellie was born fairly recently. Um, and, and that one got a whopping 438 likes and 213 uh, comments on Facebook, which is a ton for me being a non-influencer. Uh, and uh, n- nothing like a quarter of a million like Mark Allen, but uh, that was the biggest one for me. My biggest triathlon one was also this this year because that was that was new baby day. Uh, my my highest triathlon engagement post was new bike day when I got my new Tridot custom paint job diamond bike and I took a picture of it in the driveway and posted it and that that was my triathlon themed post that has gotten the most likes. So new baby day and new bike day did very very well for me uh, here this year. So guys, we're gonna throw this question out to you, our audience. And see what you have to say from all of the posting you've done on all of the different social media platforms. What is that picture, that post, that video that you sent out there that just got the most uh, attention? Uh, curious to see what you have to say. Uh, make sure you're a member of the I Am Shot at Facebook group. We're going to throw this question out and uh, see what post got you some extra attention. On to the main set. Going in three, two, one. Before we get too deep into the show today, I want to give a shout out to our good friends at UCAN. Here at TriDot, we are huge believers in using UCAN to fuel our training and racing. In the crowded field of nutrition companies, what separates UCAN from the pack is the science behind Live Steady, the key ingredient in UCAN products. While most energy powders are filled with sugar or stimulants that cause a spike and crash, UCAN energy powders powered by Live Steady deliver a steady release of complex carbs to give you stable blood sugar and provide long-lasting energy. I personally fuel my workouts with the orange-flavored Edge Gel and the unflavored Ucan Energy Powder. Between their Energy Mix, Energy Bars, Almond Butter, and more, there is definitely a Live Steady product that you will love. So head to their website, ucan.co, and use the code TRIDOT to save 20% on your entire order. Now that code used to be 10%, but the fine folks at Ucan have upped it to 20% for Tridot Nation. So once again, that's UCAN.co, promo code TRIDOT. There are 12 months in a year, and depending on how triathlon-obsessed you are, you may be training and racing your way through all 12 of them, most of them, half of them, or the bare minimum of them. Either way, no matter how you play it, staying strong deep into the tri-season can be a challenge for every triathlete. So no matter what is on your schedule for the year, Coach Mark and Coach Joe are here to help us crush the back half of our season, something that Mark calls the second season. So, Mark, as we get into the topic today, your Mondays with Mark Allen YouTube series, it seems like just following you there, it seems like the topics are either inspired by what you're seeing in the pro field or what you're hearing from your own athletes as you coach with TriDot. What specifically prompted you to discuss the idea of the second season? Well, you know, I, it was actually Scott Zagarino, my business partner, who who brought this idea up. He said, you know, you were really good in the second half of the year in, in that second season. And so we talked about it and, and we realized there was really not a, a focus on how to how to how to hone your fitness in that in, the, in that sort of meaty part of the of the year. And uh, I, I personally I kind of had two seasons like I would start training in January I was fortunate. I lived in San Diego and the weather was usually pretty cooperative. And I had big races in May and June, culminating with the Nice International Triathlon early June. And then it was like a real shift. 
I was in very good shape. I would back down on the volume, increase the speed work, do a lot of short distance events like ITU World Championship in 89, and then rebuild that endurance at the very end of the year. And so I, I realized I had these big cycles of how I was varying my training throughout the season to get ready. And then I also, we were, Scott and I were talking about this, there were a lot of athletes who kind of did the same thing all year and they were on fire in the first part of the season, but in that sort of second season time, they were barely hanging on or they got injured or they got burned out or they would get to Kona and they just had lousy races that were not reflective of their potential. And so I thought, boy, this is something that, that I'd really like to sort of highlight for, for all the athletes that I coach here at Tridot and, and others who are listening so that just, just kind of give all you folks out there, you know, some ideas on how you can optimize this, this part of the year. You know, if you come into it, um, already pretty fit, a lot of people think, you know, I've got to really maintain that fitness and, but there's this, this sort of saying that says the more fit you are, the closer you are to being overtrained or, or burned out or injured. And so when you really are right at the very top of your, your peak potential, that's when you actually have to be careful with your training and not keep loading on more and more and more and keep you know, adding in more and more speed work, but really pay attention to recovery, pay attention to uh, how your body is responding. And if you feel like you're training hard, but you're getting out of shape, that's for sure the, the first sign that it's actually time to walk off and rest. If your Garmin tells you your training is unproductive, uh, maybe your training <laughs> is unproductive, or it might mean nothing. It might mean nothing. But Mark, it's interesting to me just to hear that it, even back then before we had as much of the data and the numbers to back it up, because with Tridot Training, certainly we, we tell people on the podcast all, all the time, if you are constantly stacking your schedule with A races, Tridot can never bring you out of that that building stamina phase. It, it has to keep you doing that and it can never back you down to developmental work where you can work on your power and your speed and let the body rest a little bit. And, um, you know, it, it's just constantly having to keep you ready for race day, race day, race day. And it's so interesting to hear that you and so many other pros that you said back, back in your day, the ones who were good deep into the season kind of took that time to kind of l let a lull exist and kind of get back to the speed work, get back to the shorter stuff, get back to, so I'm curious, Mark, do you think that burning out before the end of the year, is that a problem that's more exclusive to middle and long distance athletes uh, and not short course athletes, or is that potentially a problem for anybody? It can be a problem for anyone, but for sure, if your focus is 70.3 or Ironman distance events, and especially if you've done a lot of them throughout the year, um, you're a prime candidate as uh, to be someone who, who might end up at that last event kind of like just barely hanging on. You know, the other side of it is those who are just come really starting to get back in their training. You know, here it is. It's it's summertime. The days are long, and maybe it, you know it's you. You can almost overextend too early because if you're just starting to build your base, build your fitness, build your speed, and you have these long days and then all these group workouts because everybody's off their trainer and they're outside riding and running together, super motivating, but at the same time. It can be hard to sort of just stick, stick to what you know is, is the smart schedule for you and, and build gradually because, you know, big fitness gains happen a little bit each day. They don't, they don't happen in dramatic chunks. And coming into this June window, July window, August window, 
maybe actually starting to build your fitness toward the end of the, the year, that's end of the second season, take those group workouts as on the, on the days where you need that motivation, but try to also stick with what your coach is telling you, what, what you know has worked in the past and just sort of look at it like, okay, this is June. Those 10 athletes have been training since January. There's no way I should be training with them yet. You know, sort of build, build up to that point where then your, your, your training community, your training groups are, are going to enhance everybody's experience in fitness. Yep. Yeah. Great point there, Mark. There's certainly some group rides in my area that I enjoy joining. Uh, you know, but I know that on a Saturday morning, they're going to do two or three hours in the saddle. If I'm, and if I'm at a spot in the season where I shouldn't be doing two or three hours in the saddle, okay, I'm not, I'm going to avoid that group ride for a little bit. But once my season hits that point where that's how long I'm supposed to be in the saddle, then, uh, yeah, it might be a decent idea to go, go pick up that ride and chat with some folks and uh, do a ride with some friends. So, uh, Joe, you might race more than anybody that I know. Uh, I, I think the two people that come to mind that I think might race more than you our Tridoc coaches, Tridoc Pool School coaches, Kyle and Terry Stone, who I know you know very well. You're good friends with them. I think they're the only ones I see on social media racing more often than my good friend, Tridoc coach Joanna Namey. Um, you race early in the season. You race in the middle of the season. You race deep into the season, uh, often full distance stuff. Before we get into like our, our specific kind of how-to questions here, how would you say that your triathloning, your swim, bike, and running, how does it feel at the beginning of the season versus towards the end of the year? I have to think about this for a minute because I, in all honesty, if I give you all my honest answer, when people talk about their tri season, I have no idea what they're talking about. I have lived for 20 years training. Um, there is no season. And I think there's a couple of reasons. And when I say this, yeah, when I say this, I mean it as you know, I tell my athletes, do what I say, don't do what I do because I, I don't follow my own advice. But I think what led up to this type of training all of these years was that in my first Ironman, they had announced it was it was doing Coeur d'Alene with Cindy Reeves and um, Suzette Schutze, but they announced the inaugural Ironman Texas two days before it. So that sets us up in Texas to have an Ironman in April. Uh, back then it was a month later, it was May. but. You know, as far as when everybody's having their off season, nobody's training through the holidays, we are, we're training, you know, and, and that was years and years of doing Ironman Texas. So I, I, I got accustomed to training during that time. Then it led to, you know, wanting to do an Ironman in the fall. And in doing that, it just sets you up to be, you know, training for most of the year. Um, so, you know, I, 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 your question in, how do I feel toward the beginning um, and then toward the end? I think I've learned a lot like over the last 15 years in how to um, build in some short-term recovery for myself. Um, there is no way, like Mark said, to go full throttle, you know, for 11 months out of the year. Um, and so I have to have some lulls in there. Um, and I, I have some athletes that, that, that are built like that, that want to train the entire year. Then I have some that definitely need an off season. Um, and, and so in doing that, I think the only way to be successful in those late season Ironman races is to um, is is to have some some lulls, some recovery, um, you know, over throughout the entire year. So, Mark, how does the approach to the back half of the year change, whether you are a year-round triathlete or a seasonal triathlete? Well, that that's uh, that question is probably the the main reason that we decided to do something with this concept of the second season, because it is very different. 
if you are sort of a year-round athlete, as as Coach Joe was just saying, it's really important to to build in some periods where you you back things down. You let your fitness actually drop down a little bit. You don't have to stop training. Yeah. Let your fitness drop down a little bit. Do something completely different than what you normally do. So let's say you're mostly an Ironman triathlete or long-distance triathlete. In that sort of let-it-go period, cut your volume way down. Maybe actually focus a little bit more on, on some very short, speed work sessions or maybe do a sprint race or a 5k or something like that so that the the physiology and the muscles that you are working are very different than what you sort of do on your standard day-to-day stuff yeah so if you're you're that seasonal athlete that's just got a couple of months and you really want to focus you know for sure use some of those groups uh to motivate you those training partners who have been training quite a while all season and maybe they're a little bit above you you know that'll help boost you on those tougher workouts when you need that that motivation that support but also really stick to your your overall training plan and and your overall guidance from your coach because again it can be really easy to overdo it and you're going to see these big results really quick when you're pushing hard and you're you're overreaching all the time but there has to be that recovery from it it's sort of like think of everything as an inhale and an exhale you know we inhale that's the overreach. And we exhale, that's the rest. And, and so metaphorically, you know, there has to be that exhale in your training to then take that next inhale. If you're trying to inhale all the time, you're never going to get the recovery. And so again, recovery seems to be a a theme that keeps coming up in in my conversations. Um, But it's, it's a super important part of this second season. And one that as a seasonal athlete, for sure, you're, you're going to get fit quick because everybody's training and there's lots of sunlight and there's group workouts, but tune, tune in to your recovery. Make sure you're getting that recovery. If you're a year-round athlete, make sure you get that exhale too, that recovery in between these, these extended blocks of training that you're doing over 10, 11, 12 months. And if you do that, incorporate that recovery with that smart training, you're going to have the best race of your life when you get to the end of the season, the end of that second season. So we, in our audience, we definitely have, uh, athletes that train with tried out training and with tried out coaches like Joe and Mark Allen. Um, we, we definitely have athletes on the tried out Mark Allen edition, which is always very cool. I'm on the Mark Allen edition. I've got, I got my little Monday motivational video for Mark every single Monday when I fire up my app. Uh, we, we also have plenty of athletes in our audience who, who, uh, like our podcast, listen to our podcast, like learning from the coaches, but do not use try not to train. And that is well and good. We welcome you. We love that. Um, so when we talk about topics like this, we, we try to, we, we try to answer it really for both parties. And, and so Joe, I, I'm really curious to have you talk to, uh, about how try kind of handles our training schedule as our, our race season ebbs and flows, because a lot of the principles we're talking about and, giving yourself time to ha- have your fitness come down in, in between a races, giving yourself ebbs and flows and, 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 you know, more different, different types of training that work different energy systems throughout the season. Um, try to optimizes all that for you as your season goes along, um, unless you just stack your, your schedule so full of races that it can't really back you off. Um, try to, will help do this for you. So, so Joe, just kind of talk to us as we start putting races on the calendar what does TriDot do kind of going from race to race to race to optimize our training? Yeah, super smart. Um, 
letting TriDot do the work. Um, it's always inevitable that I'll have athletes that have A races, um, half Ironmans, full Ironmans that are fairly close together. And then they'll come at me and say, why aren't I riding six hours, you know, next Saturday? Um, and, you know, and as TriDot optimizes your training coming off of a big race, it's going to be building in that recovery. Um, you're going to have a week or two where you have shorter sessions or less intensity um, in those sessions leading up, you know, a couple weeks later to another race or a month or so later to another race. Um, and in doing that, you may not see the, the, you know, what you think are going to be your long rides or your long runs. You may see that that backs off. You may see that um, you, you, you get pushed back into a developmental phase if you've got enough time in there. Um, and athletes sometimes aren't happy with that. They think, oh, I've got, a, you know, I've got, a, I've got another Ironman coming up in, in, you know, in seven weeks and I need to be riding six hours. And I'm like, no, you don't. Um, you know, so listening to the program, following the program, being smart about um, you, you have, you've accumulated so much fitness by that point. You know, you've already, you've already raced. Um, and it, it's a lot about what Mark was saying. It's like, you know, having that time to back off a little bit, maybe lose, not, it's not necessarily losing a little bit of fitness, uh, but having that enough of that recovery that you can build on it um, and still make gains and then be successful in your next day race. Yeah, all, all three of us on this podcast, we're dear friends with Trotter Coach John Mayfield, a podcast regular. And, and John has, when we talk about putting races on the calendar, uh, he has two tricks that he he's just uses for himself that he recommends to our athletes. And, and one of them, I call it the Mayfield double is, is he, he will stack two Ironman races within, oh, he'll find two races that are six to eight weeks apart. And so you do your big training block, you know, try to take you through your training block. It gets you ready for the race. It builds your stamina up. And then you do Ironman Arizona. And then six weeks later, you race Ironman Florida. And in between you're basically just maintaining that fitness you already gained for the first Ironman. And you get two Ironman finish lines out of it, as opposed to if you sign up for Ironman Texas in April and then Ironman Coeur d'Alene in June, well, that's that's two to three months where you have to keep that fitness up. It doesn't it doesn't give you, you know, when you when you space them out like that, it doesn't let Tridot kind of back you off in other parts of the season. Uh, for our short course athletes, what John likes doing is stacking two or three sprints and Olympics with within the same couple weeks. And so, hey, go two, three, four months without racing, you know, just letting the program just really train you, really work your fitness, really do whatever it needs to do to optimize your training, and then blitz out two, three, four short course races before backing off again. And, and so he, he kind of recommends uh, those two uh, frequently on the podcast, so I, I do want to mention those. Uh, but Mark, I'm, I'm curious from you, Mark, because you obviously to peak the way you did in the second season in your pro career. And, and the way you help your own athletes do that, you know, you have some tricks of the trade for how you like to stack your race schedule to really get the most out of it. So where, what recommendations, Mark, do you have for setting a race schedule that really enables you to peak at the right times and then back off the training at others? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, as I said earlier, I, I kind of had two real seasons. So I would focus on more endurance, longer races, in the early part of the year. And then in the, in the middle of the, the year, in my sort of backing off period, that's when I would throw in Olympic distance races. And I wouldn't do, I wouldn't do any Ironman training for a couple months, like in that June, July window. And then sometime mid, late August, then I would shift back to then more Ironman focused training with the longer distances and re rebuilding that endurance. And so the, the stimulation on my body was very different throughout the year. And I could really feel like 
you know, I'd, I'd hit that January and then start training. Like a lot of people take me a month to get in the rhythm. So it really wasn't until February when I'd start to like, start to really lock in on my workouts. And then April, I'd race in Australia, May, another race in Australia, maybe, and then Nice in early June. So I had this sort of longer build in the first half of the year. And then the second half of the year, when I was getting ready for Kona, even though it was obviously a long race, my Kona block was only about two months. So, you know, when you're, when you're more fit, and this sort of goes to actually kind of what John was talking with, you know, in his, his Mayfield double, once you're, once you're fit, you don't have to go through the whole big, long cycle of, of building up and getting your speed and you have it already. So it just takes a short little bit of fine tuning each one of the different physiologies, your speed, your endurance, your strength to then take it up to that final level in, in the, at the end of the second season. So that's how I would, I would structure it. The, the message here is to sort of mix it up throughout the year. You know, doing the exact same thing all year long might feel good. It might be satisfying, but it will, will, will probably not lead you to your ultimate performance. However, if you mix up the kinds of workouts that you do, the distances of races that you do, and you kind of segment them and put them in little different blocks, then your body's like, oh, okay, now I get to do my long stuff. And then when you're kind of starting to get that feeling like, oh gosh, another long ride, you do the race, <laughs> you come back and it's like, oh, I get to do short stuff. This is cool, you know? And so it, it really, the message there is to mix it up and it's not necessarily to entertain you, but it's to work your physiology different throughout the different parts of the year. Very actionable item. I really like that mindset, Mark, just to, to mix it up throughout the season. Um, the, the next thing I want to ask about, um, and I might be asking this selfishly because I live in Texas, Joanna lives in Texas. We definitely feel this, but, but I know wherever an athlete lives at, wherever they're training, I'm sure they encounter this in some form or another in Texas, you know, when you're training in mid to late summer for an important fall, second season, a race, the summer training conditions in Texas are nothing like the race, weather you're going to encounter a few months later, deep into the second season. And it's, it's a pretty dramatic difference for us, depending on where you're training and racing. But I, I know other athletes and other locations feel that in some form. So if you're training wherever you live for a second season race and the weather just, it does not match where you live and where you train, how can athletes nail their mid-season training for a second season, uh, so to speak, race that will likely have different weather? What do you think, Mark? More important question is to ask yourself during these pretty intense heat months, how do I optimize my training? One answer is to do some of it in an air conditioned environment so that you can actually train hard. The opposite side of that is gonna be people who are maybe, let's say they are doing Ironman Florida and they're training up north somewhere and it's the end of the year and they've already seen snow and they're going down into humidity and heat to do that big race. You can also train for that by simply any workout that you do, put on one extra layer of clothing beyond ah, what you would normally wear for yeah. the, whatever temperature it is. And what that does is it actually creates this little microclimate right next to your skin that's that's hot and humid. And, and I used to do this uh, getting ready for Kona because Ironman was like the very end of October. I was training in Boulder, Colorado. By the end of October, for sure, we'd had one or two snows already. 
And um, so I would just put on that extra layer when I went outside and, you know, my skin was Kona hot. I was ready to go. I, I really like that, Mark. Uh, Joe, do you have anything to add there to what Mark said? Well, I had a, the funniest thought because as in I was racing Kona last year and, you know, I think I was, you know, all confident in myself. Oh, I'm, I'm from south of Houston. Y'all have no yeah. idea how yeah. hot it is there. Yeah. I mean, we have perfect conditions. I am so ready for this. I get halfway through the bike course and literally pull over at an aid station, take my helmet off and dip it in ice water. And in screaming, I am from Houston, Texas. I can't believe how freaking hot it is here. Um, you know, it, it was a different kind of heat. It was different. Um, it's hot here. I, I, and, and what Mark is talking about is I'm in the middle of training right now for Kona. Um, and it's a balancing act. Um, I mentally do some of the training outside, the long bikes. I need to know how it feels to be out there for long periods of time. But you wouldn't have effective training if I tried to do every session outside. So I am, yeah. you, you balance half indoors, half outside. Um, it's that mental factor. Um, you mentioned the heater. I have a new athlete that just came on. She is in Seattle um, and she is training for Kona. And I suggested it. She said, don't worry, I have a sauna. You know, even just sitting in there, even just getting used yeah. to temperatures that she's not, she's, you know, she, she, it's still chilly there. I'm like, chilly? It's a hundred degrees here. <laughs> oh, so opposite problems, opposite places. Uh, but you know, my rule of thumb is that I tell them you have to get accustomed to what you're going to be racing in. If I could just add something in there, you know, if, if you're racing really deep into that second season, late November, early December, often the, the races, even if they're in historically warm places can be very cold and there may not actually be a way for you to fully be adapted for that because that you know in that sort of swing weather period it could be warm where you're at and all of a sudden two days later it's freezing right well it can be yeah. like that at the race too and so you know also prepare with clothing that you might want to put on during the race yeah so the very first year that they had the nice international triathlon in 1982 it was in november november 20th and in nice france um and it was cold, like the 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 Alp Maritime, the the Maritime Alps behind where the bike course was, they had snow on them. The Mediterranean, they were saying was fifty seven degrees, but I'm a surfer and I know that it was maybe fifty four at best. And this was before wetsuits, and so the swim was supposed to be fifteen hundred meters. They shortened it to five hundred meters. Thank God, because I wouldn't have made it out fifteen hundred meters. That says a lot, yeah. In that water. And then all of us, when we were in, in the changing room out of the water, you know, I was shaking. I couldn't talk, but I saw Scott Molina and I, I realized we both made it out and we're both sort of like semi-clear. And I gave him like a thumbs up. You know, I couldn't <laughs> articulate a word. We threw on, I threw on cycling tights. I threw on a cycling jersey and wore that for about three quarters of the bike ride. And then I started to actually warm up. I stopped and took the tights off, you know. So y y there's many ways to be prepared for a weather situation like that. Um, the, the, the next kind of second season topic I want to talk about is, is staying healthy all the way to that second season race. And, and maybe this is an issue for, um, folks that train more year round, but, but Mark, to your point, people that train seasonally often jump into the training really hot and heavy because they only have a short amount of time to, to get ready for that race. So, so either way, um, the, the deeper you get into the season, it's just simple math. You know, your, your body has more miles on it at that point in the year. 
what should we be doing in terms of recovery, nutrition, sleep, et cetera, to help our bodies stay strong all the way through the end of the year uh, for those second season races? No matter where you are, if you're starting to see, let's say, injuries come come up, you know, something that's bugging you that you know isn't right, you know, and, and an injury starting to take place is something where you can identify the, the location of it. It's a shoulder, it's a knee, it's an ankle, it's a hip, it's a back, it's a neck, whatever it is. You know, the, the pain from training is a global thing. Like it's, it's everywhere. It's like the, the, the universe hurts, you know, that's okay. That's just a byproduct of pushing your body. Um, and that, but the second thing that, and it's, and I call it the unseen injury and it's, it's just over being overly fatigued. There, there's no one thing that's going on that will, that'll get your attention like a sore knee or a sore ankle or something. Yeah. And so as you're moving through this, the second season, sort of tune into that recovery. And again, I keep emphasizing this, but you know, some of the signs, what are they? Well, one, you have a, you have problems sleeping and normally let's say you don't have problems. All of a sudden you start having problems sleeping. You can't get to sleep or you get to sleep. But when you wake up in the morning, you feel like you were hit over the head with a stick or something. Uh, another sign it's, getting a little bit harder and harder for you to motivate for your workouts. You get up and it's becoming like this supreme effort. Maybe it's time to skip a workout or cut it back. Another sign is, um, you know, clearly if you wake up in the morning and your heart rate's really elevated, that's a very physical sign that something's out of whack in your body. Maybe you're dehydrated or maybe you are getting overtrained. Another sign, let's say uh, on the bike, you're, you're starting to move along and it feels like you're just pushing really hard and, but your Watts are really low. That's a sign that you need some more recovery on the run. You, you go out the door and you know, you're, you're just barely getting warmed up, but you feel like your body is completely filled with lactic acid at a slow pace. That's another sign that you are getting overtrained. You need some more recovery, back it down, back off the intensity, back off the volume. Uh, the classic sign in any sport is it just takes longer and longer in your workout to actually get warmed up. Like at some point you start to feel good, right? Well, you, you know, in the beginning when you're fresh that you're warmed up in five minutes, but as you go through the season and if you're starting to wear yourself down, wear that bat, those batteries down, you know, it's not until you're an hour into a run or hour and a half into a bike ride where you start starting to feel like, okay, now I got this thing. Yeah, sign that hmm, maybe there should be some added recovery put in here. I'd add that if your husband asks you what you want for dinner and you give him a death stare from across the room, <laughs> if your irritability is at an all-time high and you can't, he's just trying to your, feed you, Joe. He's just trying to he, feed you. If Let you can't stand you. your children or your dogs or your husband, you may need to recover. <laughs> so. Uh, I will add uh, what Mark said. Um, I think it's super important. I do coach a lot of women that are perimenopausal or, you know, um, have been through menopause. And like, we're talking more and more about reading the signs of overtraining. Um, these these athletes require more recovery. They require more rest. Um, and it, 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 it's very clear a lot of times when um, you're just doing more harm to yourself um, and building in more recovery into into their plans. Um, I, I said it on uh, my posts before, but um, your training 
has to be strong, but your recovery game has to be stronger. Um, and it, it becomes like a second full-time job. What can you do daily to recover? You know, you can train hard, that's fantastic. But if you're then on your feet and you've got to go to the grocery store and you've got to do this and you've got to do that and you, you're just, you're running yourself ragged, um, you're not going to reap the benefits of that training. Um, and, and that's what's hard. That's what's hard for like you, Andrew. I mean, when you have little ones, it's very tricky to figure out, you know, you may squeeze in the training, but are you going to get enough sleep, you know, to, to really recover? Um, so often with athletes, and I'm sure Mark has done this as well, is they may have had some super successful training. They're doing great. They're, they're producing these, these great sessions, um, you know, and then they've got some life events that happen. Some things happen that really stressful at work, really stressful with family, and they'll come to me with those things. And I'm like, my call three days off. No, no, I need this for stress. I said, no, you need to sleep. You know, there, yeah. there's definitely times when you have to, you really have to be smart about is, is, is this added easy bite going to make me a better, produce a better result on race day? No. Is me sleeping 14 hours going to make me feel better and train better next week? Yes. Um, so, you know, those are just some, some, some coaching advice on, you know, on sometimes the recovery is far more important than, than an extra training session. I pay a lot more attention to in the first season, so to speak, is the triathlon skills, transitioning smoothly, sighting in the water, making sure my gear is packed and ready to go, making sure I know the course uh, leading into race day before I'm actually there to do the race. Uh, late in the season, I can get a little bit lazy with those things because you kind of get in your head, I'm a seasoned triathlete. I've done this for eight or nine years. I know how to race. I've already raced three or four times this year. And then all of a sudden you show up to your Olympic distance triathlon and you've forgotten a, a key piece of gear or you didn't know the race course enough and 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 you you just you just botched something uh, or or you just you you hadn't practiced a triathlon in forever or, or transition in forever and so you you, you flubbed getting your wetsuit off. Um, what what do you like to see your athletes do to kind of keep those skills? topped off and keep our T's crossed and our I's dotted deep into the year? Well, I, you know, I try to sort of tell people experience is great, but always think of yourself as a beginner. And so then you, if you do that, then, then you'll always make sure that you're checking those things, those real basic things. And it is very easy to get into that mindset like, oh, you know, I've got this wired, I got this covered, I've done it. I raced six times this year. I don't, uh, you know, I don't have time to practice my transition. I, I don't, I've got my pile of race stuff over here. I'm sure everything's there, you know? Yeah. Here's a, here's a great example. In 1989, that was the first year that um, we were starting. We saw that some people had lightning fast transitions by putting their bike shoes clipped into their pedals and then they'd get on the bike, you know, and pedal a little bit. And then while you're coasting, you put your feet in the pedals. Right. And so Dave Scott and I, here we are, this was my seventh Ironman. It was his whatever, eighth or ninth. We're obviously good triathletes. We have a lot of experience at that point. Both of us had our shoes on our bike pedals. Neither of us had actually really practiced it because. Oh, I love this. Professional and we know how to do everything. Yeah. Like, yeah. This is amazing. Like, this is amazing. This is this is gonna work great, and I'm gonna save like 3.78 seconds in transition, and I'm gonna win the Ironman because of this transition, right? So, we both came out of transition together. We were I was on his feet the whole swim. Come out of transition, we're 
we both take like two or three pedals. We, you know, we are both reaching down to put our feet in our cycling shoes and we smashed into each other and <laughs> we both almost went down. I mean, the classic iron war race was almost finished just after the swing <laughs> transition before we even actually got on the bike course. So just go back, you know, take that, take all of that experience you've gained throughout this year, racing, training, all the experience your coach has given you, all the experience your athletes have given you, all the experience you've gained through many years of doing this sport. But at the same time, think of yourself as a beginner. What are the things I need to look at? What do I need to do? How do I need to get prepared? And then ultimately, you know, that, that last race of the year for that second season, it, it has a different complexion because there's no more tomorrows. This is it, you know, and a lot of other races throughout the year, there's actually kind of less sort of pressure on them because you have a great race. Great. And if you don't have quite a great race, well, there's another one coming up in a month or two months or yeah. three weeks. Yeah, sure. That last one of the year, it's, That's it. it's, kind, of, it's kind of like, th this is all on the line. This is, this is my final exam. I'm either going to get, and you got to think about it for months. Yeah. For I'm months, either going to get my PhD or head. they're going to have me go back in the lab. You know what I mean? And so <laughs> that also is sort of like, take, take it all back to the very beginning. What are you ultimately trying to get out of this race? You're trying to get the best that you have on that day. And so as best as you can go into that race with that mindset, like, yeah, this is a big deal for me. And I am excited to be here. I'm nervous, but ultimately I am just going to try and stay fully engaged and get the best out of me each moment I can in this race. Maybe I'll have a great time, a great placing. Maybe I'll qualify for something for next year. Maybe I'll have a terrible race. But at the end of the day, when I cross that line, I want to be able to look back and go, you know what? That was the best I could do on, on this day. And I am proud of that. And that's a that's a that's an honor you're gonna hold high inside of yourself if, if nowhere else. Joe, I'm curious for you, just with all, all the day-to-day -day age groupers that you're working with, you know, what do you tell them in, in terms of keeping the try skills sharp and not uh, not colliding into a competitor uh, like Mark did in, in Kona in 1989. So I write that specifically. Do not not practice <laughs> like Mark Allen did in 1989. No, I um, you know I think what you talked about before, Andrew, being extremely organized in that you know for my athletes we do a 10 week out to do list, a five week out to do list, a two week out to do list. Every race, never fail. This is what we have to do. Um, that's that's prepping, that's planning, that's nutrition. Then I have them, everybody writes a race report after the race. Oh, this is how it went. This is what I did. I have them write a race plan before. They have to give it to me. They have to submit it to me because what happens in the second season, you are less engaged mentally. You know, you've been, you've raced a bunch, you're tired, you're more burned out, you know, but when you've got to write the race plan down and submit it to somebody else, you're far more engaged on, oh, I can't forget this. I need to do this, 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 and this, and write those goals down. What Mark was talking about was that in this race plan, you know, if I hit this, then I've done the best I can, you know, or, you know, if it's crossing the finish line, that's my goal, then that's fantastic. But you stay engaged and you're, you're recognizing those goals right before you do the race. How can we keep our motivation topped up deep into the year? We all have our, this is, this sounds token, but we all have our why. We talk about that. Like why, you know, why did I endure all these years? Why did I do all these Ironmans? You know, this um, and most of the athletes I coach or most of, you know, most of the parents that I coach talk about that, 
um, they really lost themselves. They don't have something for themselves. And so that this is, this, this, this gets to the, to the athlete that's inside of them. And they need this, they need this little part of their life so that they can be happy in all other aspects of their life. And that's kind of the overreaching, um, feeling of why, you know, why we, why we get involved in this in the first place, but the daily motivation, it, it is a huge struggle. I mean, I hear this from age group athletes all the time. I just don't have motivation this week. And I'm not too proud to say that bribery is very good. You know, bribing yourself. What do you, I've done it. You know, yep. with, uh, done with it. some of my athletes, I said, you get a new kit. You're going to get a new Betty kit. If you do all these workouts over the next two weeks, you're going to get one. For me, my kids, they'll just have to look at me because I eat pristine and they'll go, peanut buster parfait, mom, Dairy Queen, Dairy Queen. You can do it. Knock it out. Knock out that long run and we're going. We're going to DQ. I mean, it, you can, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you got to get as simple as that. And, you know, and, and the fact is you're always going to feel so good about yourself once you've gotten it done, you know? So sometimes it's just getting over that hump of I'm going to get the peanut buster parfait on Friday. If I, if I do all this training. Well, you know, I tell my athletes who, who ask me that same question, motivation is what gets you started on a journey, but it's the habits that you have that, that keep you going on it. And so what, what are the habits that enable you, what habits will enable you to train day in and day out without burning out that, that you don't need to be motivated to get yourself out the door to do the workouts because it's just, it's a habit of something that is part of your life. And, and if you have that, then, then you're not constantly having to search for motivation. But the other thing is to, um, you know, sometimes just sit back and reflect and ask yourself, is this something that's important to me? You know, sometimes that lack of motivation means that you need to maybe shift directions a little bit, but it could also just mean that you need to remind your, it's time to remind yourself of what that initial dream was. Why did that yeah. spark you to get going? What was it that you saw or experienced that was like, I want to do that, or this is what I'm setting out to do this year. And then, you know, for me, a lot of the, a lot of that <clears throat> sort of underlying low, low grade, very steady motivation really comes from um, being part of a triathlon community. You know, we have our, we have our training partners, we have our coaches, we have our family and friends who are supporting us in this. And if I'm out there and I'm kind of going, uh, I don't really want to give it much today. I think about all the sacrifices that and the support and the help that everybody else has given me to get to, the, to today. And I'm like, wait a minute. Uh-uh. You just get yourself back in a good mindset here. And so, you know, there's just, there's a lot of ways that you can sort of just keep that thing. Ultimately plan, you know, this goes back to the planning thing, plan your season out, plan your races out, plan your training out. Ask yourself as you look at the broad, big picture of things, is what I'm doing this week going to be something that will propel me forward a little bit, but that I can then continue on next week and, and keep going and keep going and keep going. If this week is like this massive, like I, I hit PRs and everything, and next week you're flat on your back, that's not sustainable. So sustainability is something that's super important when it comes to motivation. If you're feeling like you're always just maybe – a little bit, you had a little bit left in the tank, you're going to have motivation because you want to, you, you want to empty that tank and hopefully you empty the tank 
on race day, last season, last race of second season. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. It is Coach Cooldown Tip Time, and I'm Vanessa, your average triathlete with elite level enthusiasm. Our featured TriDoc coach today is Greg McCauley. Greg has an abundance of triathlon experience, both in racing and in coaching. He has stepped on the podium 20 times and has completed over 80 tries within the last decade. Now, if you had asked him in 2007 if this was what he could expect of his future, he would have been in complete disbelief because at that time he was living a pretty unhealthy lifestyle. Well, triathlon changed everything for Greg. The support and the camaraderie of the community got him absolutely hooked, and now he loves sharing everything he has learned with his athletes. His coaching specialties include helping his athletes develop mental strength, everything to do with cycling, and also simplifying the process. Greg currently lives in Texas with his wife of 35 years. He has three adult children and three grandchildren. Welcome to the show, Greg. Uh, thank you, and thank you for uh, you know having me. And I'm humbled and uh, very excited to, to be able to share a, uh, a coaching tip, or just be able to share a little bit about my uh, you know experience. I am very excited about hearing about this next tip because you are a very avid cyclist, and and I'm looking forward to learning a little bit about cycling. So, what can you share with us? Uh, my uh, tip is to know your bike as well as you can physically know your bike. Uh, you know, it goes without saying, you know, we need to uh, know how to, you know, change a flat. We know, need to know how to, you know, make sure our, you know, our bicycle is, you know, safe to, you know, to ride. Uh, we need to know, the, you, know the, you know, the basics. Um, but, you know, when you're out there and, uh, you know, especially, in, you know, in the heat of, uh, you know, competition and you have, you know, something new or you hear a different sound or, um, you know, just something is happening that, uh, you know, hasn't happened before, uh, the better, you know, your bicycle, the better you're going to be able to, uh, do one or two things. One is to stop and, and, uh, you know, decide to, uh, you know, how or if you need to uh, repair something. And the other is if that, you know, that sound is, it's, uh, you know, it's not good, but it's not going to be a showstopper either. One of the uh, latest uh, near misses and reasons why I'm glad that I, you know, have a, uh, I want to know my, you know, my equipment as well as possible, you know, mentality, so to speak, was at, uh, Ironman uh, Cozumel last year, you know, I flew with my bike and I was in the process of, you know, reassembling it. And I just have this, you know, habit of when I'm reassembling the bike, looking at every, you know, square inch, you never know what's going to happen. Your bike is shipped. Um, uh, you know, the bike isn't, you know, what, you know, wasn't brand new. I, you know, I wrecked it at 70.3 Ohio last year. So, you know, it behooved me to, uh, you know, look at every square inch, uh, you know, of the, you know, of the, you know, the bicycle. And, and to just, you know, before I tell the rest of the, you know, the Cozumel story, uh, becoming intimately familiar, you know, with your bicycle, you know, helps when, um, you, you know, the only affordable bike transportation method is to borrow a bike bag or, you know, to use a bike bag that, you know, you already have. There, you know, most bicycles, there is some, especially with your aero bar or your cockpit, there is some disassembly, you know, re, you know, required. 
So if you're not really familiar how to, you know, take it apart, there's a strong possibility you're not going to be as familiar as you should be when you're reassembling your bicycle, which can lead to, you know, safety problems, uh, you're racing. Um, but back to, you know, to, you know, to Cozumel, you know, again, like to, you know, be intimately familiar with my equipment in the process of inspecting my bicycle. I found my left front fork crack and, uh, you know, with the, the money I had already invested and, and, and not that I recommend this and anybody that owns a, uh, you know, a, a, a bike shop, you know, put your hands over your ears, but actually, uh, taped a, uh, a, uh, an Allen key across the, uh, the crack and, uh, and raced, uh, you know, with a, <laughs> with a damaged bike, but Hey, it got, you know, it got me through. And, and what was more, most important was I was confident the, you know, it was going to work and I wasn't going to crash during, you know, during the race. So familiarity with your equipment, uh, brings, I won't say peace in, in, uh, well, Peace may be the, you know, the best word, you know, when it comes to um, how your bike is operating and when things happen, if you, uh, the more familiar you are, the better you're able you are to potentially, you know, fix the problem rather than having to either stop the race or, you know, or, you know, potentially, you know, send it to somebody else for, you know, a more costly repair. Do you have any suggestions as to where people can get information or how to go about learning the small little details about their bike? Um, local bike shops, uh, you know, a good resource. I know our one, uh, the, you know, the one that uh, is closest to us here in, uh, in Pearland, um, you know, he, you know, the, the uh, bike mechanics that work there, uh, you know, the owner are uh, almost always willing to, you know, to give up their time to explain, Hey, you know, what about this? Well, you know, what about that? You know, you teach me things. And, uh, you know, that, that, uh, I thought I knew that I, that I really didn't, uh, you know, tri clubs are a good resource too. There are a lot of, uh, you know, tri clubs that have intro to, you know, you know, bike, you know, bike mechanics, but, you know, fellow triathletes are, you know, a great resource. Uh, I think they're a great, you know, they're a, you know, highly underutilized, you know, resource too. It's not something that we often, you know, talk about unless there's an issue. Instead of getting together with your triathlon friends to do a training session, wouldn't it be fun to have, let's learn about your bike session where you just bring your bikes in, you talk to everyone and everyone does kind of like a show and tell. And then we just, you know, you would just like share your knowledge about your bike. I would find that so fascinating. You know, to, again, to most, uh, you know, a bike is, a, you know, especially, a, you know, a modern one is a very complicated, you know, piece of equipment. They, you know, the derailleur systems, how your chains move from, you know, from, you know, from gear to gear. Um, that's the most complicated part of the, you know, you know, the, uh, you know, the bicycle, you know, most modern, especially time trial bikes are, you know, they're very elegant, but they're very simply assembled or very simple to assemble. You know, again, we don't know until you start, you know, messing with, you know, start playing with it. And, uh, and, you know, again, not before, you know, right before a race or, you know, during a race, do we want to, you know, to try to do something new, um, 
or try to think we know more than you know than we do but uh in any event yeah there's plenty of time when we're not racing to you know try to overcome that you know that they're really that phobia that people have about um or the you know the mystery behind you know their bicycle at the end of the day they're really not that complicated thanks for joining us Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great Tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.